Welcome to our continuing 2019 educational webinar series. I am Katherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager for FIRST Healthcare Compliance. At FIRST Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. We are so pleased to have Pam Joslin, MM, CPC, CMC, CMIS, CMOM, CMCO, CMA, CMCA, E slash M with us today. Pam has more than 20 years of medical practice management, billing and coding, reimbursement, auditing, and compliance experience. She is an engaging presenter via webinar, classroom, and conference on various topics that impact each step of the revenue cycle in healthcare practices. Pam has managed in medical practices ranging from single to multi-specialty groups, including ASC. She is an advocate of process improvement and maximizing and empowering employees to bring about the best practice results to your organization. She received her master's of management from the University of Phoenix. Pam maintains memberships in professional organizations to support her continuing cycle of learning in the ever-changing healthcare industry. Pam is a part-time instructor in the College of Healthcare Professionals, where she actively serves on their advisory board and the CEO of her own consulting firm, Innovative Healthcare Consulting. A copy of the slides is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your PACOM and PMI CEU certificates will be emailed to you following the broadcast. Your PACOM certificate will come directly from PACOM and your PMI certificate will come from our email. There is no need to request either one. Additional CEU opportunities will be available for, to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. A download of the handout is available with a button on the bottom right-hand side of your screen. So, Pam, welcome. Thank you very much, Catherine. It's my pleasure to be back with you today and to be able to talk to uh, everyone about uh, compliance program effectiveness, taking a closer look at auditing and monitoring. Uh, for ages, the Office of Inspector General that are known to us as OIG, has been reminding us that one of the seven critical elements of the compliance program is the ongoing auditing and monitoring. So what we're going to look at in this webinar is the distinct differences and also looking at the relationship and the roles and responsibilities between these two functions, how they should operate independently for your organization, and also how they work together in tandem to ensure that your organization is fully compliant. And just another reminder when we're talking about compliance in the Office of the Inspector General and reflecting when we look at a compliance program that it must be demonstrated as being fully effective, something that is uh, unique to your organization. There are plenty of canned compliance programs uh, that you can purchase, 
but reminding us that it needs to be fully effective. And this is where you would, at your own uh, in organizational level, identify your compliance gaps um, with your audit risk and bring it all uh, into effective mode, having key metrics uh, that you track. Without metrics, there's really no way for you to prove uh, what your risks are and that you have uh, true compliance, effectiveness, monitoring, and auditing uh, going on at the same time. So we're going to take uh, just a brief overview, looking at the differences between auditing and monitoring and uh, have some tips on how to create a culture of compliance. The term culture of compliance we've heard for decades, uh, but we know there's some key tips uh, that has to happen in any organization, no matter of size, if you want to maintain or create and maintain a culture of compliance. And I have a sample job description for you from a credible uh, HR website that talks about the roles and responsibilities of a compliance officer. Because if we're going to talk about the differences between auditing and monitoring, we also have to concentrate on the key players uh, in any organization that makes this happen. And then we'll briefly uh, look at the top OIG work plan areas of risk. Uh, this is very important when you're looking at your compliance picture in your organization. Talk about the benefits of the independent monitoring operations in any organizations. And then take a look at reviewing some live case studies risk and penalties. Um, I decided to finish up with that because after we talk about the auditory, auditing and monitoring the culture of compliance and the roles and responsibilities of what it takes to get this done effectively in your organization, uh, we have had in 2017-2018 uh, some very huge signs, uh, violations assigned to major organizations. So I thought it would be valuable just to touch a base on some of those because that's how we learn. We learn from organizations uh, that uh, have made mistakes and it gives us an opportunity to look at what went on within their organization, which were, uh, I'll talk about the auditing and monitoring pieces uh, that were missed in their compliance plans. And hopefully this will help you out when you, uh, when you look at refreshing your process in your office and then tying up with how some best practices maintain compliancy. Uh, just hearing from the best, we can all, uh, you can look at where you are and take an opportunity to grow with what you have and make it better. So we always start in the beginning as to why we do what we do, because it helps organizations embrace your missions and, and your goals, and therefore are your goals um, in compliancy and all your training needs to be tied and centered toward why are we doing what we do. So for years we have healthcare compliance programs. They were just viewed as risk management uh, practices to help us avoid regulatory violations and help us to keep up with the ever-changing healthcare laws. If you don't have a compliance program in place and you don't have the proper structure, um, it's very difficult, I would say almost um, virtually impossible to keep up with regulatory violations uh, because we do have ever-changing uh, we are just in healthcare with that ever-changing uh, industry and environment. And just to tie it back to the second bullet here, 
and is traveling and be a consultant, I still um, encounter several organizations, uh, usually um, small to mid-size, even uh, beyond mid-size practices who um, are, do participate with Medicare or Medicaid or the Children's Health Insurance Program, but they don't have a compliance program. They don't have a active compliance program in place. So this is always a reminder for them. Uh, this goes back to the Affordable Care Act, Section 1604, uh, states very clearly that if you're a provider of medical services and supplies, uh, then you need to establish a compliance program. This is a condition of enrollment if you participate with Medicare, Medicaid, or the Children's Health Insurance Program. So looking at the seven basic elements of a compliance program, just building on to if you participate in these programs, that it is a requirement to have a compliance program. The Federal Register back in 2000 gave us um, just some suggestions on how to set up your compliance program. It was voluntary uh, back in 2000. Things have changed there with the Affordable Care Act, but it's still great information for you. Uh, it has information for small, medium, large-sized practices and hospitals as well. It's a great starting document for you. So just looking at the information that they gave us, uh, number one, um, implementing written policies, procedures, and standards of conduct. Number two, designating a compliance officer and compliance committee. Because when you have your written policies, procedures, and standards of conduct, uh, this should be from uh, the CEO, the board structure of your organization. Uh, and every organization, you may be in a small practice, you think, well, you know, we don't have a board, but you have to start, uh, you have to start somewhere. Maybe it is your provider that is the uh, reigning um, authority figure for compliance in your organization. There has to be somewhere where these policies, procedures, and standards start, and then they trickle down, because then you build on how are you going to carry out uh, who immediately within your practice is going to carry out these policies and procedures that the hierarchy in your organization has set forth. And maybe you don't have this structure, but if you don't, uh, there are plenty of compliance officers and entities that can set this written policy structure for you. And then number two, you have to have a compliance officer and a compliance committee. You have to have someone responsible for uh, the training and the policies and monitoring the standards of conduct. And number three, the conducting effective training and education. We talked about how healthcare changes uh, on a regular basis. So uh, you have your written policies, procedures, and then also this compliance officer and compliance committee is going to be responsible for any new laws or any new regulations that impact your individual industry, training, education, having your employees sign off that they were properly trained. And number four, developing effective lines of communication. You definitely want that within an organization. You want to create a culture where your employees understand that it works. And you can have a, a compliance hotline that they can call and report entities 
or problems that they see in your organization. Uh, they don't have to come through, you know, the management lines of a communication. That would be the preferred method in any organization because it gives you an opportunity to problem solve on that level. But they don't have to do that. They can call the hotline. They can, you know, call the OIG. They can uh, reach outside of your organization. So when you look at setting up the basic elements of the compliance program, it's very important effective lines of communication and that people have uh, the trust uh, that your organization um, whatever they have to say and communicate is heard and maybe they will report to you something that's really not um, a compliance problem but yet that they have the trust that you're going to investigate the concern that they have and get back to them in a timely uh, manner is important and then the fifth element the conducting internal monitoring and auditing. Um, the OIG, uh, like I mentioned, they have had repeated uh, the repeated importance of the monitoring and auditing of your high risk areas, but there still is considerable confusion uh, between the two and who has the responsibilities. So looking at the ongoing monitoring, um, this is a program manager's responsibility, not the compliance officer. So this entails establishing, maintaining controls. You have to have metrics, you have to have some kind of data to determine how you're doing. And you would do this on a continuous basis. And then with the ongoing auditing, this is reviewing uh, the monitoring process. So you can see why this is two different entities because you can't audit or you can't monitor yourself. So you have to have two different entities that work together for the greater good. Uh, the auditing, uh, this is a spot check. And uh, the review must be what we call independent and objective, uh, which means for it to be truly effective and fit into the description, it should be done by people external to the program area that's being audited. And number six, looking at enforcing standards through the well-publicized disciplinary guidelines. Letting your employees know that you're, you as an organization, you take this very seriously. And that if you there's failure to adhere to the compliance program, that there are disciplinary guidelines, a disciplinary process that uh, will be uh, approached to them. And number seven, responding promptly to detective offensive and undertaking uh, corrective action. There needs to be a process in place for this that is very timely, it's very thorough, and if there is corrective action, it needs to be fairly distributed to all of your employees uh, that were involved or that have violated the same offense. Um, when you look at the bigger piece, up number seven, and you think of manager managing your employees, uh, you can apply the same principle that if you write up employees and you have some type of discipline, and they have the same offense, for lack of a better word, and one of them doesn't get written up, or the other one does, or there's some type of penalty, maybe they get suspended from work or they get a write-up and then the other one gets a different type of uh, treatment the corrective action for 
the violation needs to be consistent after you have after looking at the process and uh, you look at intentions uh, you look at intent of course and uh, then if it's the same situation uh, you don't want to have disparity in this just like you would in any HR discipline with your employees because this will cause a dissension among your employees and not and make them not have faith uh, that the, your compliance program really works for everyone. So taking a look, a closer look at the auditing uh, versus the monitoring. So just looking at the auditing, this represents, it's an evaluative process. It's a list of activities that's completed by individuals. And the key word here is independent of the process on a periodic basis. Uh, once you do your, your risk analysis and you see how you line up with regulations and you have your ongoing monitoring in your organization, this is an ongoing process just to see how you're uh, working on a regular basis. And the monitoring piece of it is uh, the main goal of that is to um, detect on a timely manner these uh, defective issues that are going on in your practice. And you may have auditing come in every six months. You may have them come in. The recommended is at least once a year. But when you're going through your initial process, if you have a lot of issues that need to be dealt with, you may want the auditing piece of it or the external piece that's independent of your process to come in a lot sooner, maybe quarterly, maybe six months, until you get it manageable where the internal monitor uh, employee or distinction can keep it going on. Because you want to have data, you want to look at it on a regular basis to see how you're doing. Also, the advantage of having an outside individual is generally these are uh, they're just very independent of the process. We see this a lot in auditing uh, medical records, in that internal monitoring sometimes with um, the coding and billing team or even the auditing team, they are looking at the documentation and they, they're, they're very common, they're very familiar with that. And sometimes they have a tendency to say, oh, we know that Dr. Smith always says this in his documentation. This is what he really means, so we're going to give him credit for that because we know him and we're familiar with that. But you have to think, so the value of an outside auditor, especially with the medical records, and the E&M is going to come in, and they're not going to have that same sense of familiarity that your staff does with the provider's documentation. They're going to look at it from a very, very objective uh, viewpoint, but there's a value in that as well. Because if you're having your, uh, if an insurance company decides to pull your E&M documentation, they're probably going to look at that documentation from an independent view because they're not going to be familiar with, oh, Dr. Smith or Dr. Jones always means to put this in their uh, documentation. So hopefully you can see the value of having the two and they actually have a, an integral role in the organization. Once again, the monitoring allows for this early identification 
and correction before a problem can really uh, get big and maybe cause the company to be uh, non-compliant. And then the uh, auditing is going to come in and uh, perform activities that um, look at, it's a matter of fact type uh, situations, that they have this independent uh, perspective for the operational uh, management of your organization. So let's look at how this works in an organizational structure, and I'll share with you some of, uh, just a couple of the problems. So when you're setting this structure up, and you want for it to be compliant, you want for it to be pure, right? So uh, under this sample organizational structure, the policies and procedures, and just the goals and missions of the organization, that's the role and responsibility of the board and the CEO. So you see below that on a linear um, reporting structure can be your chief medical officer, your human resources, your chief operational officers, your chief financial officer, and your compliance officer. They're all linear and they all report to the same structure the board and the CEO who comes out with the initial vision and decides upon the policies and then these entities that aren't a linear structure are the ones that's responsible for carrying out the goals, policies and procedures and vision of the organization. So I've had this asked of me several times and um, my response is always going to be uh, that you need to check with your legal counsel. And that may seem like a cop-out. <laughs> it's not intended to be, but I, I always want everybody to get the best advice, and I'm always open that people have different perspectives. And uh, that's what makes healthcare interesting, and that's what makes healthcare challenging as well when you're talking about uh, a topic like compliance. And the question I get is, um, I'm an office manager, and I, you know, I have my management credentials, but I'm also, uh, in my organization, I'm also a compliance officer. And um, the question I, I, I go back to is, how do you monitor or how do you audit yourself? Because if you're in a management position, and you're overseeing all these processes in the practice, and especially if it's like the business office that has a great potential uh, for problems for non-compliance, and it gets reported to you, and then you're over that area, so it's almost like someone is having a problem with what you manage. Um, there's open, I, I believe that there's just too much uh, opportunity there and no one wants to be in a position to where you're looked at where you do things unfairly because that's just not uh, conducive for any organization so um, what I've always been taught is that uh, it needs to be a separate person even if it has to be a, a consultant or an outside person some practices don't have uh, the internal structure because of their size and resources to be able to have an independent uh, entity that can monitor them. But I always go back to asking yourself the question, 
of you can't really monitor yourself because you're monitoring other processes. And if you manage, if you're in direct management of the billing office and uh, they report discrepancies to you, and it can almost be a, a conflict of interest. So once again, I will always direct you to talk to uh, legal counsel before you are over um, a billing, your direct line uh, being over billings or a practice, and you're also functioning as the compliance officer. Because just a second, we're going to look at the roles and responsibilities of that. And looking at the current responsibilities that you know you already have, can you really function in a capacity as compliance officer that's going to do uh, what's best for your organization? So here we are, just sample roles and responsibilities of a medical compliance officer. So if you're running a business office piece, if you're running a practice, you already have a well-built, uh, fully embellished um, job description before you. So just look at this um, um, sample job description that I'm going to go over here. And this comes from a credible uh, HR site, but uh, this is all-encompassing. So just time-wise, can you handle this time-wise? And there's also conflict of interest things that um, I think you'll, you'll be able to see in this. So looking at the corporate compliance officer, this uh, position will establish, they'll implement the effective compliance program, and the goal is that to prevent illegal, unethical, or improper conduct. So as a compliance officer, they're going to act as a staff through reporting to the CEO and the governing board. This is just a structure that I presented uh, in the previous slide. And their primary function is going to be to monitor and report results of the compliance and the ethical efforts within the organization. And they're going to provide guidance to the board and the senior management on matters that relate to the reporting and compliance um, metrics that the organization has provided for them to measure. So as a corporate compliance officer, you're going to uh, work with a uh, the uh, compliance committee and you're going to be authorized to implement all the necessary actions that ensure that you meet these objectives of the effective compliance program that have been set forth by the CEO and the governing board. And of course, you're going to have um, general counsel at your disposal to be able to consult with them, to learn from them uh, on uh, areas that need resolved. That, but can become very difficult legal compliance issues. Um, it's almost like staying in your lane. You know, you have a role as a compliance officer and staying in your lane and not crossing over and making legal decisions because as a compliance officer, uh, if you're an attorney and you're functioning in a practice as a compliance officer, that's, that's one thing that's very important to stay in your compliance lane and surround yourself. Um, with the right type of officials uh, that can uh, lend uh, the correct advice to you. So as a compliance officer, you're going to be able to also respond to any violations, rules, regulations, policies, uh, maybe even standards of conduct 
you're going to be responsible for, for developing and overseeing this, the whole system of handling these violations. Uh, in a couple slides down, I have this uh, grid for you that follows you through all these processes and it gives you some uh, great information when you're looking at the structure of your program and you're going to see where a lot of these responsibilities they fit right into this this grid that we're going to look at in just a minute so also you're going to uh, be an independent review and evaluation body to ensure that these compliance issues and concerns within your organization they're being looked at appropriately they're being investigated and resolved that falls under your responsibility as well going to monitor as necessary coordinate compliance activities with other departments remember you saw the board and the CEO uh, uh, as your your governing boards and then HR and all these other departments are all linear uh, with you so as a compliance officer you're also going to be able to work with HR and see the chief medical officer CFO COO just depends on how your organization is structured looking at their compliance activities and partnering with them to identify any trends looking at reasonable accommodations that uh, may need to be made to individuals with disabilities this is where you could be working with the HR department uh, develop initiate maintain uh, take on the responsibility looking at revising of the policies and procedures just for the general operation of the compliance program and how these activities relate to preventing this illegal ethical and improper conduct you will manage the day-to-day -day operations of the compliance program uh, develop periodically review uh, looking at your standards of conduct um, uh, look at it on a continuing basis look how relevant it is in providing guidance to management and your employees collaborating with the other departments on their compliance issues making sure that if they have any investigative problems that it's followed through in a timely manner uh, to resolve as well uh, on a regular basis you will be asked to provide port reports uh, to the corporate compliance committee and senior manager just let them know to keep them informed of the process what's working well in your organization um, what needs what are there any new risk areas that you need to set up some type of monitoring on uh, looking at ensuring proper reporting of violations or any potential violations as appropriate establish and provide direction and management of the compliance hotline uh, looking at maintaining the effective compliance communication program uh, what you're going to look as use of the compliance hotline look at any problems that you have with standards of conduct and understanding any new and existing compliant issues uh, that come into healthcare and what uh, policies and maybe procedures that have to be new have to be trained on new in your organization and monitoring the performance of the compliance program and all its related activities on a continuing basis and of course taking the appropriate steps to make it more effective so just looking at the sample roles and responsibilities I think you can um, start to understand why having this separate is very very important in any organization once uh, it's a lot and you already have a well-defined 
a job description as a manager, whether it's over your, um, whether you're ever billing or whether it's over your practice. So trying to incorporate the full descriptions uh, and roles of a what uh, a true uh, compliance officer is uh, we be very very um, I think we very hard to do both jobs and give them justice and serve your organization well plus looking at um, the potential conflict of interest I do want to share a story here when it comes to the hotline and you're setting up uh, the structure um, I ran into someone when I was doing a training and she was talking about that she had a compliance concern within her organization. It had to do with her immediate boss. So her office was next to her immediate boss and it was a true compliance. She had already checked that out with the governing body, so to speak, and they had told this employee it was a violation. And uh, but she went to call the corporate hotline and when she called the corporate hotline the phone rang in the office next to her so her director was in charge of the hotline so she hung up because she's like this can't be true right I'm calling to report my director on the corporate hotline but it's ringing in my director's office so she hung up and tried it again because she just didn't want to believe that that could be true. Uh, but once again, every time she would try, the phone would ring and go over to a recording. So when we talk about the structure and for people to feel safe, um, you, that they can report uh, violations in your organization, you have to, you really do have to look closely at um, how this is being reported because if you have a director um, or a manager uh, like I was talking about uh, previously that's also your compliance person and an employee has an issue of violations against them then it's how beneficial is it that these individuals are the ones that's manning your hotline and uh, they're going to hear, even though the individual is not going to leave their name, they're going to hear um, that this individual is complaining about them. So looking at uh, the effectiveness of it is, is huge. So how do you create a culture of compliance? It always has to start at the top. And I've highlighted some key words here. So looking at the best of organizations, they understand the basics of just clearly defining uh, defining what that means. What is your vision? What is your goal? Uh, what is your style of communication? Letting people know that it's that uh, it's important that they follow the culture of compliance. That there is reward. There's also consequences. That these um, that it's all measured and it's reported. Um, so everybody in their own uh, department needs to know what's measured. Uh, how that ties to compliance and how it ties individually to each department success story for the organization and what are the what are your reporting objectives so that way everybody has goals that they can work toward and then when um, these goals are not met that um, there needs to be value information uh, that you gather to measure and analyze you need to 
to uh, manage those corrections, improve your prevention, detection of this, uh, these failures that you're managing, and then work toward when you involve your employees and then you need to be open for innovative new ideas and opportunities. None of these jobs are solo flights for anybody. It takes a village to manage this culture of compliance. And the more people you have in your village, your work village, that feels like they're part of this organization and that you have good communication, the better success you'll have with the whole program. So looking at successfully elevating your compliance management, uh, looking at the strategic advantage. So I have highlighted here, compliance must be embedded in a firm's culture. It has to be part of your core business model. It has to be reflected from the top. It has to start with leadership or either employees are not going to take it seriously. And lastly, all firms have a culture with respect to compliance that may vary. But looking at the overall and how it functions, uh, it needs to serve and foster the compliance efforts. And if it doesn't, then uh, there's really no point in trying to uh, have an effective compliance program in your organization if it doesn't start with leadership and you aren't uh, serious about how you communicate it and how uh, it's mirrored in front of your employees. So just a reminder here, um, just in a few easy steps, looking at starting with leadership. The company's senior executive, the board of directors, that goes back to the organizational structure that I provided for you in the previous slides. It all starts there. It has to be fully supported and engaged with the company's compliance efforts. So if you have senior management and they're not actively supporting and cultivating this culture, uh, then you're just going to have what they call a paper compliance or you're just going to have a compliance book that's on uh, someone's shelf but it's real, it doesn't meet the definition of what the Office of Inspector General challenges with. It's not an effective one. And step two here, aligning the compliance with the enterprise risk management, looking at the compliance program should address the risk areas that are very unique to your uh, individual specialty. You train and you test. And companies that invest in employee training have uh, better retention rates than others who don't. Uh, this training needs to be ongoing, always reviewing your policies, looking at the employee assessments, but investing in effective compliance program um, is not cheap. There is a cost to that, but when you look at some of the figures I'm gonna show you in a little bit about organizations that, that are huge and you uh, think, that they have well-defined uh, cultures of compliance and compliance plans, uh, the penalties are just huge if you just don't if you don't uh, have the correct monitoring and auditing in place. Uh, incentivizing the ethical behavior. This is where compliance can be tied to compensation, and employees are much likely to learn, adhere to, and uh, work with you in this everyday duties if uh, it's very clear about rewarding their ethical behavior. And you also have uh, the disciplinary piece of that. It all ties together uh, nicely in an organization. You need both pieces of that. And don't ignore your compliance mistakes. You're going to have 
um, mistakes. Uh, you're always going to be challenged with maybe new risk areas uh, that come up, and then maybe maybe you need to modify and retrain some of your employees when you have uh, something like that come up. And using effective technology, yeah, we have spreadsheets uh, that we can use as far as tracking compliance, but you have to have some type of compliance technology in place so that you can monitor month to month, quarterly, uh, whatever your process is, so it can be effective because you have to share results. You have to share results with your employees, not, not deep down CEO board level details, but letting them know and uh, the metrics, whether you're up, or whether you're down, whether you're meeting compliance in their areas, or whether there's areas where they can improve. And this kind of bonds everybody together from the top for all your employees so that we can all participate in this culture of compliance. So just looking at, uh, here's the grid that I shared with you. And you have to know what to measure in your organization. You don't want to measure things that are not effective. Uh, so what to measure and how to measure. I'm just going to go over some of these briefly um, uh, with you this, as this goes on for quite some slides. But I'm going to tie this into some of the other important concepts that I've talked about before. So when you're looking at what to measure, looking at the accessibility of a reporting system, and then how, to, how do you measure that? You would be able to measure that by involving your employees and your managers uh, and asking them if the reporting system is accessible to them. Is it available in languages that are most spoken in the organization? So here's a great uh, one that everybody should be paying attention to, no matter the size of your organization, is the adherence to the 60-day overpayment rule. Uh, you would look at, so have some type of tracker, looking at the days to open or days to close that do not exceed that time frame. Uh, you would have information on your efforts to identify your status benchmarks, your specific days to complete, et cetera. Uh, tying back to what to measure goes back to what it, what's going on in compliance. You know, we have our, our basic um, compliance concerns, but then when we have new rules, someone has to monitor that as well. And do they have trust in the system? I've talked about that before several times. Do you feel you can freely report ethics and compliance issues without fear of retaliation from managers? I shared an experience that I, I ran into, and I also have experience. I worked for a large organization that on a regular basis, they would evaluate this in their organization. And um, the premise was that you could dial into the survey about ethics and compliance and about your directors and managers and no one on the other side that was populating the data could see your user information but there were people in this organization that did not trust that so they would not they wanted to respond but they would not respond from their own computers because they um, did not trust the organization that if they spoke freely about compliance issues that they they wouldn't know it was them. So they opened up a boardroom with uh, computers and employees could go in with a generic logon and uh, uh, go ahead and do 
uh, the survey. So this, we talked about communication and trust, and it's in, in the best of organizations uh, that you're going to have individuals that may have some other uh, way to freely report. Uh, but as I shared before, having uh, someone that that your your employees report to directly may not work for you if that's the individual that uh, they have to report to on the hotline or uh, some type of ethical or compliance issues. All right, when we look at the reporting and the investigative process, we talked about timeliness as well. So whatever you choose to report in your organization, you want to be looking at uh, like 5.6 here, when you're looking at your hotlines, are hotline calls or matters brought to the attention of the compliance department? Once again, uh, getting into uh, areas of conflict. If someone calls and the complaint is about you, um, it's just a temptation not to report that. So looking at all this information and setting up true compliance program where everyone is free and no one feels um, like it's conflict of interest is is the pure way to go about this. So also um, on this one looking at the investigation you want to pull some type of investigation this is how you would monitor this internally and then externally someone would come in you would monitor this and externally someone uh, would come in and look at this as well. Uh, looking at on 5.11 published reporting system. Is there a hotline? Is there a compliance officer? How do we report? How do we find information? Uh, looking at 5.15, the discipline for non-compliance. Did you document the reviews, the interviews, monitor to ensure that the disciplinary policies are being followed consistently? And making sure that your culture knows how to uh, report uh, they have different venues, different opportunities to report any potential violations. Uh, looking at 5.18, the awareness and effectiveness of the internal reporting system. This is where you look at your employees, your vendors, your contractors, and how they report. Uh, looking at um, the level of retaliation, individual comfort of these reporting systems. And you can do this by uh, uh, some type of survey. That's very important to understand the pulse and the trust of your organization. The hotline reporting system, are there test calls? Are the calls answered? How is this handled? Is there an external vendor? This is a choice. Maybe within the size of your structure, you don't have a compliance officer or you uh, don't have a hotline or currently it goes to someone that is in management. Hopefully this will give you an opportunity to kind of rethink that. Maybe you do need an external hotline vendor for that. Um, looking at, here we go, 5.22, I wanted to bring this up, the investigative resolution and timeliness. Looking at your documentation review. So whatever time frame you set up, then that becomes how you monitor this whole process. Are your ports closing timely? What is the investigation time for each of these violations? How are they handled? Uh, the audit case files, are they demonstrated? Uh, looking at the, how this process was followed. Is it a management issue, a legal issue? Is there a triage tree? 
uh, looking at the written escalation process in 5.26, the documentation review, is there a written procedure to determine at what point a matter must be reported to the board, the committee, or the government agency? All of these are very important. So looking at your risk assessment, is there a document enterprise-wide risk assessment? Looking at who participates, what topics are prioritized in that, what are the mitigation steps, how are they determined, is there being training, looking at auditing the risk assessment process for these individual areas. So looking at 5.34 is auditing and monitoring based on risk areas identified in the risk assessment process. So to do that, you would review the risk assessment process and what audits and monitoring are on your work plans. And you're looking at the effectiveness of this, bringing in your uh, business leadership, and with the monitoring and auditing work plans, what internally and externally are used as far as risk-based plans, because remember, both of them have distinctive roles and they have value within your organization that uh, both have to work together. You have your process, you have your audit inventory, you have your compliance department. Their role is to review the audit plan and process to ensure compliance uh, with the key stakeholders and that part of the process. And looking at the audit process and need for advice of counsel uh, relating to uh, the audits, uh, just having a referral process to track their attorney referrals, looking at the tracking that the attorney has consulted, right, when you want to bring them in on an audit finding and get in their uh, expertise advice. Then you have your benchmarking, you have your accountability, then you have your audit results that's going to be tracked and trended. Either you met, exceeded, or there's a little bit of room uh, when you run uh, those metrics on a regular basis. Then you're going to look at how is this resolution of these efficiencies documented and, and what's next? Do we need to create a new policy? Do we need to train again? Looking at the corrective action plan, you see how all this ties together from front to end, tracking the, the whole process that you have agreed upon within your organization. And if you have corrective action plans, making sure that you have documented follow-up process uh, that management has completed all the items in the corrective action plan. All right, looking at uh, the auditors, auditing the auditors, this is where you have that third party, um, the non-retaliation, uh, the way you monitor that. This is how the compliance officer can um, connect and have a role in HR, is the exit interviews, employee surveys, vendor oversight is where you review vendor certifications, track consequences for vendors not adhering to compliance programs. All right, just briefly looking at the independent monitoring. And once again, this is a, sometimes in an organization a resource-based problem. But yet, if you, we go back to the beginning, and that's where I started with this, if you're billing Medicare, Medicaid, and participating in those federal programs, it's not an option for you um, not to be doing the auditing and monitoring. Uh, 
the independent monitoring to be done inside, there's time saving if you have someone to do that. And they're also closer to the problems. They can resolve these problems in a more uh, timely fashion. If you have someone externally, it depends on how you onboard your contract with them. If you can't afford or you don't have the resources to um, have this independent monitoring, then you may need to have somebody that functions to do this monthly auditing with you. So that just uh, depends on how you have your structure set up. And I, I get in small to medium-sized practices, I see this a lot, that you just don't have the resources to even do the monitoring uh, the way it should be. But looking at um, the time saving, the cost effectiveness, and the objectivity of it, you're there if you have someone on a regular basis, because the auditing person uh, that's just going to come in quarterly, every six months, once a year, or whatever. Uh, again, that just depends on how you structure it. I see that all over the board, basically uh, looking at the size of the organization and the resources that they have to get this done. So looking at the Office of Inspector General, the OIG updates for uh, January, every organization, this should be part of your compliance plan as well. And I just pulled up here for you some of the recently added items. So the Office of Inspector General here with the work plan, they have strategic goals, they have objectives, um, they help you to comply with applicable laws, regulations, there's audits and evaluations that they conduct. So every organization, and what you want to do, you want to follow this on a regular basis. It's updates quarterly, but you do want to go in and check on it to see if any of the guidance that they have, like the recently added items, or what their focus is going to be, the upcoming focus, you want to check these to see if any of them ties to the uh, type of services that you provide in your organization. This is a great uh, heads up. It gives you an opportunity. You should have the auditing and monitoring uh, in place in your organization already. But what this does, it kind of gives you a heads up because then you will be able to, to maybe move that up on your list of risk and take a closer look at uh, what you're doing in your organization. So here's just an example that I pulled from that. You have Medicare payments for clinical diagnostic lab tests in 2018. And they'll start out by telling you that Medicare is the largest payer of clinical lab services in the nation. Medicare Part B covers most lab tests, pays 100% of allowable charges with no beneficiary co-payment. Uh, co they'll tell you, um, why this is important to them, that Medicare paid $7.1 billion for lab tests. And it's a total that's changed very little in the four-year period, the 2014 to 2017. They talk about the Protecting Access to Medicare Act of 2014 and the purpose of that. And then the last bullet here. Um, just states on January the 1st, 2018, CMS began paying for lab tests under the new system, and they required the OIG to publicly release an annual analysis of the top 25 lab tests by expenditures. So this would be important to any of the organization that um, have lab services 
uh, as attached to part of your healthcare entity. So this would be something that uh, you might want to add to your risk assessment and your trending is to follow this with the Office of Inspector General. So if you don't offer or you're not associated with lab services in your organization, I'm sure there's something within the work plan uh, that would help you with developing your risk analysis. So looking at a couple of cases uh, that were really high, I'm just going to bring a couple of these up for you as we're powering down a little bit because it ties back to uh, all the foundational pieces that I, I mentioned earlier. So you had a judge, they rule in favor of a, the Office of uh, Civil Rights. It requires a Texas Cancer Center to pay $4.3 million in penalties for HIPAA violations. So uh, what happened, this was at MD Anderson, and it's a, a degree-granting academic institution, comprehensive cancer treatment center uh, here in Houston, Texas. And what happened with them is that um, back in 2012, 2013, there were three separate data breach reports uh, that involved the theft of an unencrypted laptop from the residents of the MD Anderson employees, and also the loss of two unencrypted universal uh, serial or USB thumb drives containing unencrypted uh, electronic protected health information of over 33,000 individuals. So the OCR investigated and found out that MD Anderson, they had the written policies, encryption policies, that went back as far as 2006 and that their own risk analysis had found that the lack of the device level encryption was a high risk, right, to uh, the security of the EPHI. And if you have providers that have laptops, uh, this should be a high risk when you're looking at your uh, risk assessments for your organization and your compliance plan. But they did not begin to adopt these enterprise-wide solutions to implement the encryption of the EPHI until 2011. And then it even failed to encrypt its inventory of the uh, electronic devices. So they argued, of course, but then uh, the uh, ALA, ALJ agreed uh, that their findings uh, were upheld, so their penalties for non-compliance with HIPAA and the uh, amount of uh, exposure came to $4.3 million in penalties for HIPAA violations. So there's another one with ANTHA. Let me squeeze this in here. Uh, Anthem paid the Office of Civil Rights $16 million in record HIPAA settlement. Uh, this is the largest U.S. data breach in history, and this has to do with the implementation of improper measurements for detecting hackers. IT has to be in healthcare one of the biggest challenges uh, that we have. Um, and that the large healthcare entities, because it, they're a healthcare entity, this is a risk factor for them. Like if you have PHI, that is a risk factor for any organization. So, so coverage of that in all aspects, especially in IT, need to be closely monitored on your uh, compliance plan. And what happened is um, 
they had insufficient procedures to regularly review their information system activity, their failure to identify and respond, or even know that they had security issues, uh, cost them a big, big $16 million. All right, looking at best practices, uh, working with management to identify, make a list of going ongoing compliance high-risk areas, and this depends upon your individual operational areas. Are you uh, tied to technology? Do you have EPHI? You can see by just a couple of these large organizations' uh, breaches, it's very costly. And you can, I hear this all the time, you know, we can't afford a compliance program, but I think you, can, you can't afford not to have a, some type of compliance program going on this, uh, in place that is effective. Uh, number two, looking at the compliance audit plan that will evaluate ongoing monitoring and auditing, two different processes here. Number three, ensuring responsible program managers are engaged in looking at the high-risk uh, areas and ranking them uh, in level of risk. You need to know what, in, what are your top high-risk areas. And uh, that's the way you, you form your, your processes and, and your policies and procedures. These are the, the risk areas that you report on on a regular basis. Number four, ensure that program managers adequately develop and implement monitoring plans that address. You can see how all of this ties together. You decide what to measure, how to measure, how, how you're going to measure, how frequently, who you're going to report to. And number five, determine if the program managers have calculated the potential damage or risk can cause. Uh, they have HIPAA penalty uh, charts out there for everybody. Uh, there is subjectivity when they are assigning some of these penalties, but generally, they uh, if this is a high-risk area for you, you had policies and procedures in place, and you did not follow them, uh, you can see with um, with Anthem and the MD Anderson that uh, the penalties are very, very high for organizations that um, let these processes fall through uh, the crack with their compliance plan. But you do need to look at the direct and indirect financial consequences. Uh, determine whether your ongoing auditing is, is, is sufficient enough looking at the internal controls number seven you would want to make sure you have your corrective action plans uh, in place eight uh, look at the results of your auditing and monitoring on a regular basis report to your ceo your board level compliance committees and number nine um, always engage other compliance experts to work independently they'll give you a fresh different view, a perspective on what you're doing. They will help and partner with you in evaluating the effectiveness of your compliance plan. So just in powering down here, uh, start with your leadership, engage your employees, uh, create an organizational structure to follow the guidelines uh, of the Office of Inspector General. Uh, looking at, you have to have a compliance officer with specific roles and responsibilities, work together for your policies, procedures, decide within your organization what you're gonna measure, how you need to measure. This ties back to your individual uh, risk areas. Have processes externally audited at least once a year. And you just do the circle over again. You get your feedback, you train, 
you retrain, you make new policies and procedures as needed, and continue to monitor uh, internally. Some resources for you, and back to you, Catherine. Okay, thank you so much, Pam. That was very, very informative. And uh, we had a few questions that came in. So um, as a consultant, what is the biggest challenge you see with monitoring and auditing in organizations? The biggest challenge? That's a great question, Catherine. And the biggest challenge is resources. Um, because if you participate in a federal plan, you have, since the Affordable Care Act, the responsibility to do so, but we still hear on a regular basis, people either don't know, there's still a large part of the poor, uh, population that, that, that we have talked to that just don't know, they're supposed to have it in, in place, and they don't have uh, the resources to do that. And I think I shared that, that it, you have to do it, <laughs> and if you can't do it internally, and we understand that, that outsourcing, just as long as you are meeting compliance, as long as you're trying to do something. Okay. You know, it's important to acknowledge that um, you know you should be doing something in your organization. All right. And um, what is the best way to get our practice on board with compliance? The best way? Oh, that's hard. Um, hmm. The best way is it has to, somebody in your organization, if you don't have the structure, somebody has to like start the fire burning. And sometimes we've seen this start, um, you know, with employees, not even with management or CEOs, but somebody that makes them aware because it has to come from the top. And if you are in executive positions and that is part of your organization and and speaking why showing them why showing them the penalties and uh, you know uh, that uh, creating this culture of compliance has to come from the top and, and employees you know once they've been taught that this is part this is healthcare this is just where we are you know these are going to be the incentives we're going to incentivize you we can reward you you know um, and then there's going to be on the other side disciplinary guidelines for those that do not follow the process. And then you just move forward uh, with that. And there's going to be those sector of people that may be resistant if this is new to them. And this is where you have that disciplinary disciplinary piece. And, and management tells us that you have to have at least 75% of your upper level management supervisors, and I include this in doctors, I include doctor managers in this, in order to initiate a new process in an organization, for it to be successful, you have to have at least 75% of the people uh, on board from the beginning and moving forward, and then you can deal with the 25%, you know, stragglers that want to take their time uh, to embrace the new concept. Okay, great. Um um, does the compliance officer have to be a full-time employee of the company? Oh, that's great. Um, I mean, just refresh on this one. They they don't have to be, and, and quite honestly, uh, the size of your organization, uh, you, you, you can't support that because, it, once again, the dual roles, you would need to check with counsel. But I've had experiences uh, with people that I know 
and then working in a large organization where uh, people uh, can't have those dual positions because of the conflict of interest. But this be one thing I would definitely defer to counsel to help set up that structure. But a lot of organizations, based on their size, small, medium, even medium to small practices, can't afford to have that position full-time there. And there are other alternatives just to meet the goals. Okay. Well, um, thank you so much. Uh, do you have any other words of advice or anything else that you wanted to leave with us? Uh, I think just in summary, um, the acknowledgement that, you, that it has to be done, that they're uh, adhering, having an uh, active compliance program in place, not just a book, uh, on a shelf it's not pertinent maybe you bought it somewhere maybe you got a good deal on it you know but it has to be tailored to your unique organization because the employees can see that as well they can see themselves in a tailor specific made plan uh, that monitoring auditing are two separate processes under the compliance building blocks and however you get there there's different ways to get there to be compliant and whatever way that is, as long as it meets all the uh, the conditions that's set for us by our regulatory entities, then I think you'll be good. Yeah, I've heard that so many times. It can't be a dusty book on the shelf. So it has to be an, <laughs> exactly. active, an active document. And Yeah, yeah someone yeah. comes, you blow off the... Well, off the dust and yeah I have a book you know right, yeah, right. it's a lot of work it's it's ongoing well I really appreciate you uh, coming on here and and having this webinar for us so thank you so much appreciate it thank you for asking me my pleasure always yes well um, attendees thank you also for attending and uh, please use the contact information for Pam Joslin there um, you can also uh, contact us, and uh, if you send us questions, we'll forward them on if you think of something later. Um, please remember, your PACOM and PMI CEU certificate will be emailed to you from within two days following the broadcast. There's no need to request it. You can register for any future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at firsthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778. And thank you for joining us.